Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. While you're still standing, I want to read to you a few verses of Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, and then we'll drop down to verse 23. Paul the Apostle addressing the church at Corinth, and he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. <clears throat> you know, when the Lord calls us, he asks us to be his followers. And you can't just follow him any ordinary way. He said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow after me. And that's self-denial. That's yielding our will to his and aligning our lives with his wishes that please him. And so he's writing to a church who understands that and he's reminding them of some things and giving them clear instruction, which we're going to look at. And that refers to the covenant ordinances. You know, when we enter into a covenant relationship with God, it's what he calls us to do. It's a covenant that's based on love, like a marriage covenant. Couple decides to marry, it's because they love each other and they enter into a marriage covenant. In biblical terms, symbolically, Jesus is described as the bridegroom and the church. His disciples who follow him are named as the bride and the feminine. He is the groom. We are the bride. And we are to enter into a marriage covenant with him based on love. As Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Our covenant with God is to be based on love, not on fear. Not on ceremony, not on ritual. More than anything, it is to be based primarily on love. And so Paul the Apostle is writing this for the benefit of not only the Corinthian church, but us, reminding them as followers of Christ what some of our responsibilities are. Verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Ordinances are rules that have the force of law. In this context, biblical rule and biblical law, theological law. And then he gives them instruction in verse 23 as he addresses the subject of communion. And he ties communion together with the terms of the New Covenant, the New Testament, the New Testament of the Bible. But it's more than just taking bread and wine. It is a renewing, a remembering, and refreshing in our minds and our commitment to God, <clears throat> our covenant, our promises that we made to God when we came in repentance and said, I do. I will be your bride. I will follow you. 
And I want to live with you forever. And so Paul the Apostle in verse 23 says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, notice it doesn't say you shall do it every week, every month, every year, every summer, whatever. There's, there's no specifi specified time. But whenever you do it, and this is the day for us, and she says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, I think it's interesting to note that nowhere in the New Testament is it, is it instituted in ordinance form by Scripture to commemorate Christ's birth as we do at Christmas. But his death is a part of that sacrament and ordinance that he's established for us to remember his death more than we do his birth. And I'm not going to emphasize or focus too much more on that, but remember that Jesus' gospel, as defined by Paul, the apostle three chapters later in chapter 15, is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate next week. It's the death, the burial, and resurrection as the birth is assumed. But the focus is on the death and burial and resurrection of the gospel. So he says, as long as you do this, you show forth the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let every man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Doesn't mean that you can't eat or partake of the communion because you feel unworthy. That's not what it is. He's talking about our attitude. Do not reduce this wafer and wine to the level of ordinary food like a Big Mac. And take it to yourself and just eat it down or whatever without thinking about what you're doing because you're, you're, you're actually desanctifying the whole meaning of this event. And in fact, Paul said, for this cause many are sickly among you and many sleep. Many have a premature death. Amen. Not because they were unworthy, but because of their attitude and in essence, really, what you'll find is during communion that he instituted, he, he speaks to us. You hear the voice of God. And many times the voice of God will speak to you as to what you need to do or not do in your life where you're at right now. And because you fail to heed his advice, you suffer the consequences either in sickness, in your health, or even a premature death serious matter and so this is why I want to address this today because the Lord instituted it before his death 
And it's during Palm Week, this celebration. It's right at the Passover on the night of his death. But we won't be having service on Good Friday, but we'll be having Resurrection Sunday next Sunday. So I want to focus on this aspect of the annual celebration this year. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this holy presence of your spirit. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, in our families. Thank you, Lord, for being a covenant maker, a covenant keeper, and faithful, Lord, to your word. Help us, O oh Lord God, to be that faithful on our part. Hallelujah. God, in Jesus' name, bless your people today. Bless this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. And let the church say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. You know, the ordinances in this chapter are not dead rituals, but they're meant to be living experiences. They're not dead rituals or ceremony, but they're meant to be living experiences. And communion is that as well. <clears throat> you know, repentance is part of our salvation process. And in repentance, we identify with Jesus Christ's death on the cross of Calvary. In baptism, we identify with his death. Romans chapter 6 tells us that. As many of us as are buried with Christ, we're, we put on Christ and we're buried with him. And if we're planted together in his death, we shall also be planted together in his resurrection. <clears throat> Baptism is symbolic of burial. It's a great experience. I was baptized August 24th, 1975, and I still can relive that memory in my mind. It wasn't just a ceremony. I knew what I felt. I knew I was different. I knew that my conscience was cleansed. I felt clean in the inside in a way that I could not even describe. But I remember that feeling to this day. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that does that. It's not the water. It's not the preacher saying anything over me. Amen. Except the name of Jesus. Because at that point, the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross is applied to your life. And the difference is felt and it is known. It is experienced by what you feel on the inside. Because the Spirit of God witnesses to that. See, it's not just a ritual. It's an experience. And Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Almighty God, it is, it is the, the power of the resurrection. Jesus died to give us that power. Without that power of resurrection, what are we? We can be forgiven of sin, but how is it going to take us to heaven? God chose and ordained a man to infuse us with his holiness, with his powerful spirit, his presence inside of us. Amen. And Paul makes it very plain in the book of Romans chapter 8 also that it is that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will also resurrect us or quicken our bodies by the same spirit that resided in Christ. So when you see the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is not a ritual. It's not in a wafer. It's not in just a laying on of hands. It is meant to be a living experience that you receive for yourself. And the initial evidence of that is that God will speak to you in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Amen. And it is 
full in the Bible scripture. Mary, the mother of Jesus, received it on the day of Pentecost. The same way she was in the upper room. All of the 12 apostles and the many other disciples, 120 in all, on the day of Pentecost was filled with the Spirit, and they knew what they had experienced. It changed their lives. It made them from fearful cowards into righteous, bold lions that went to proclaim the Gospels everywhere. Before the day of Pentecost, before they were infused with that power and that spirit, they were hiding behind closed doors. After they received the Holy Ghost, because Jesus said that what happened, amen. Behold, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. And the little word for that in Greek, amen, is martyros, where we get the word martyrs from. And many of them were. In fact, all the apostles except one died a martyr's death. You shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the world. And after the day of Pentecost, from these fearful men became bold lions that went throughout the Roman Empire and challenged kings and potentates and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. Why? It wasn't, you know, just a mental exercise they had experienced, but they had a living experience with the risen Christ, not to mention the fact that he appeared to them at least 11 times during a 40-day period after his crucifixion. There was nobody that could convince them that Christ is not dead. Nobody could convince them that he wasn't real. Nobody can convince them he was just a prophet. Nobody could convince them that he was a liar or a counterfeit. They saw too many miracles. They saw too many eyes that were blinded that were opened up. They saw too many dead that were risen from the dead. The Holy Ghost is resurrection power, and Jesus died to give us that. And then he instituted communion on the night that he was betrayed. It was actually the Jewish Passover, which the Jewish nation also celebrates to this day. But while they celebrate the Passover in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, chapter 12, 13, amen, where Israel was first brought out of Egypt, and they had to apply the blood of an of a unblemished land on the doorposts and on the lentil, amen, which is a foreshadowing of the cross as they put the lamb, blood's lamb on their doorposts they had to hide behind the blood of the lamb it's a lamb for a house amen the plan of God to save households that's the plan of God the whole house a lamb for a house and Jesus on that Passover night as he was Jewish Jesus came through the Jewish nation to fulfill God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all through the prophets, that he would also be a seed of King David. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. But he didn't come just to the Jewish nation. He came to the Jewish nation because they were the ones called and ordained by God to be the safety deposit box of his truth. There's only one God. And they were just that. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled that promise. But he came not only for the Jewish nation, he came for the whole world. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. God's love, God's grace was not to be limited just to the nation of Israel, but to the entire world. That's you and me. 
and that communion Jesus instituted on that last night before he was arrested. It was really, again, the Jewish holiday and the ceremony of the, of the Passover. But Jesus changed the terms of the covenant. He says, now, from now on, whenever you take and, and celebrate this holiday, it will have a different meaning. Whenever you take this communion, just remember, I am that Passover lamb that was symbolized in the Old Testament. I am the lamb of God. And my bread, my body, this is the real bread that came down from heaven. In fact, in John chapter 6, uh, Jesus tried to explain this to some of the Jewish people. He said, uh, verse 48, uh, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, meaning they, were, they had an argument. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? But they were thinking in carnality, in, 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 in human terms and not spiritual terms. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers to eat manna in the Old Testament times past, and are dead, but he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And how is this applied to communion? That's why we remember his death and Passover for us became the death of Christ and his burial and his resurrection. And his shed blood, which is symbolically represented by this, by this grape juice, and that wafer is a representation of, that, of his broken body as we crunch that around. It, it is, it is represent, representation of, of how his body was broken for you and I, for our salvation. And what salvation is, I think, you can go back to this Wednesday night's Bible study. We had a, a lesson on what salvation is. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save you and I. Communion, broken body, and shed blood. It is the terms of the New Testament. But I will say this. Besides communion, uh, as he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink in remembrance of me. It is indeed the, the, the New Testament uh, ordinance for communion. But besides that, Jesus also instituted in, in John chapter 13 the washing of feet. 
See, in repentance, we identify with Jesus' death. In baptism, we identify with his burial, with the receiving of the Holy Ghost. We identify and we become part of his resurrection and receive that power. In communion, we are, are identifying with his death and, his, and, and his, his burial and his broken body, what it means to us in the terms of the new covenant. But in the washing of feet, which we have this afternoon, and we invite you back for that, it's very important because in that sense, we identify with Jesus' humility. See, communion, we draw near to God. In washing of feet, we draw near to each other as the body of Christ. And in a washing of feet, there's only feet then. Of course, we separate the men from the women. The women will be in here. The men will be over there. We'll draw, amen, because that's proper and that's seemly. That's biblical. But when we wash the feet, all stations of life disappear. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is, who your parents were, who the fathers, who the mothers, or whatever. It doesn't matter where you come from. We all are in the same plane together. Amen. We put all of our roles and our and our our degrees, and we put all of our education and all of our titles aside, and there we gird on the towel of a servant like Jesus did, and we get on our knees, and we wash our brothers or sisters' feet, Amen. not because they're dirty. Jesus and his disciples didn't wash their feet because they were dirty. Notice that the Bible says in John chapter 13 that when he had done eating, when they had done supping, then he got up from the table and went and washed the disciples' feet. Some people will say, well, you know, they just washed feet because of the custom in the old day. They came off of the dirty streets and they had sandals and they had dirty feet. Yes, I agree with that. But they do that before they come into the building. Before they sit down to eat and have supper and have fellowship. The Bible says their feet were already clean. And so we exhort you to wash your feet before you come tonight. <laughs> Amen. So when you come, because we do it for a different purpose, a different reason, we're not here to get the dirt off of your feet. We're here to exercise humility in practice. And that takes, with some people more than others, really a great deal of yielding to surrender their pride. You don't know how much pride you have until you are called upon to get on your knees and wash your brothers or your sisters' feet. And here we're cleansing our feet, cleansing our way. You know, in baptism, we're, we're, we're cleansing us, ourselves from sins and, and, and also from, uh, from, from the things of this world. And, and in, in communion, we're remembering what God has done for us. We remember the terms of the covenant. But in the washing of feet, you know, we're, we're, we're washing our feet from the wrong paths that we have taken. And it's the wrong steps that we have made. You know, we step aside. We, we, we went in the wrong direction. And all of a sudden, whoops, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have gone there. I should have acted this way. So we wash feet. We're cleansing our way. And we're really rededicating our walk with God, to walk with Him. That our feet are dedicated to walk on the straight and narrow. Walk on His paths, not our own. And that is another reason why it's important. It's meant to be experienced. It's not just, again, it's not just a ritual. It's not something, okay, get it done. Let's get on our way. No, 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 no. No, think about it. Think about what you're doing. Jesus instituted for a purpose. 
and it's a very important purpose, and we'll do that at 5 o'clock tonight. So be on time, please, so we can address that. Again, in communion, we draw close to God. In washing of feet, we draw close to each other. Now, if you have been baptized in Jesus' name, if you have entered into a covenant relationship with God, at least if you have repented of your sin, we're going to offer you the opportunity to come and partake of the Lord's Supper today. And we're going to stand in a minute and pray, and, and you can leave from your seats and come by here and pick up one of these uh, uh, juice containers. And please note that there are two levels to this little dispenser. The top white is clear film contains underneath it the wafer, and then the second uh, film underneath it opens the juice. So be careful in your seat. If you have children, if, if they're old enough to know what they're doing, parents, you supervise your children what they do. Be careful of the, of the, of the seats. This is going to be very difficult to come out, amen, if you spill it. Uh, but please take care in more ways than one. Consider what you're doing. Understand that there's no such thing as being unworthy to take this. Jesus died to make you worthy. You know, when during Passover, which the sacrificed lamb was a symbolic representative of Jesus, in the old days under the tabernacle, when all the children during Passover, all the families of Israel stood in their tent doorway. If you can just picture that. You have the tabernacle in the center of a population of two, two and a half million people. And all around it, there were three tribes to the south, three to the north, three to the east, three to the west. And, and all the tribes, all the people stood at the entranceway of their tent, all facing the tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, a high priest would take that lamb, and that lamb would be killed, and its blood collected in a container. And the priest would have to take this hyssop branch and dip that blood into that basin. He would take it with him into the holiest of holies. It was the only time during the year that that high priest could enter into that holiest of holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was with the, the, the two golden figures of the archangels, uh, uh, the angels uh, facing one another. That was the mercy seat. And that high priest had to take that blood and sprinkle it on top of the mercy seat. And only he could do it. Only he was the one that was able to do it. But when, but when, when he did that, the glory of God would descend. And people would see it. It wasn't just a ceremony and a ritual. It was an experience where all the population saw the glory and the manifestation of God come down, seeing that God has accepted the sacrifice of that lamb to cover their sins and will roll it forward year by year until the coming of the Messiah, which was Christ. And he redeemed them from all those animal sacrifices by his own blood on the cross. But here's the point. When, when this took place, all of the people of Israel were standing in their door. Men, the fathers, the wives, their children. And they were all looking towards the tabernacle. At that point, the high priest was killing that lamb and shedding the blood and collecting the blood. And all the people that were close by, I mean, the further away could not see what was going on, but they could see the effects of it when the glory of God descended. But those that could see it, the focus of the entire service was not on what the priest did. It was on the lamb. 
And the focus of God was on the Lamb. Hallelujah. And same thing with us today. When you come to Jesus, He is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He is the Lamb. He is your Lamb that He ordained to take away your sin. It's His blood that will save you. It's His blood that will, that will heal you. His blood that will cleanse you. Amen. So when you come to the table, the focus is not on you. It's on Him and His blood. And remembering what he did for you and I on that day by giving his life, giving his body, and shedding his blood that you and I may have a close communion, loving relationship with him. So there's no such thing as being unworthy, but the unworthily, again, refers to the attitude. Don't just treat this as grape juice and bread. If you do, you'll have no benefit from it. Give it the dignity and the due respect that it deserves and understand that this is a symbolic representation of Jesus' blood and his body. And when you do it with faith, you'll reap the benefits of it, just like in baptism. It's just water. And if you just want to get in there and say, oh, I just took a bath. Okay. You can see it. You can look at it that way and have absolutely no benefit. But Jesus, he that believeth and is baptized. If you come do that by faith, it changes all the, all the equation. It's no longer just getting wet. It's all about the blood of Christ being applied to you and making a difference in your life where your sins are remitted. Amen. Hallelujah. So stand with me, if you will. I wanted to really go into some greater detail, detail of, the, of the covenant through the life of Mephibosheth, but we don't have time to do that. I don't feel honest. I don't feel in the spirit to do so. But I think you get the essence of what we're doing today. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to have a prayer of repentance. And I want everybody to, in your own way, to close your eyes, but get in touch with the Lord. He will hear your prayer. He hears every person's repentant prayer. That's one prayer that God hears from everybody. So let's do that right now. Lord, Jesus, you are the Savior of the world. You are the only one. You said, I am the way and truth of life. And no man come up to the Father but by you, you alone. You're the only one that was God manifest in the flesh. You're the only one that has sinless blood. You're the only one that came and was ordained to be our propitiation for our sins, our sacrifice. And Lord, we acknowledge you. We accept you. We pray that you would accept our prayer. As we pray through the blood of Jesus Christ, I pray for each and every one in this room, O oh Lord. God, I pray for my sins. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would cleanse me and forgive me from, for every evil way. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my mind, O Lord God, from all the filth that it was exposed to. Cleanse my hand, O Lord. Cleanse my feet, Lord. Cleanse my soul. Cleanse my spirit. Cleanse me, O Lord God, from within and without. O Lord Jesus, I plead your precious blood. And I pray that you would apply this blood of cleansing to me, body, mind, soul, and spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Remember, as you come to take this wine and this bread, that we are not only remembering his death, we're remembering the terms of our covenant, our marriage covenant. Remember when, when you took your vow and married your, your wife or your spouse, and some of you who are not married yet or will be, you may continue to take that vow. And it's not just I do, right? It's a lot of things. Raise your poor, sickness and in health. It's a list. And it's the same thing with God when we said I do. And nowhere you can see better than the life of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9 what happened there. It was an example of us. But it's a message of restoration. And the covenant is that God is in covenant with us. All that we have is His. And all that He has is ours. That's what the covenant really means. When you marry a husband and wife, everything husband you have belongs to the wife. And wives, everything you have belongs to the husband. You become one flesh. The same thing with our marriage relationship with God. Everything He has this is why David and Jonathan went into covenant. They exchanged garments. They exchanged swords and, and girdles and so on because they're saying, my weapon is your weapon and my clothes, my robe is your robe. And, and, and whenever you're sick, I, when you're in trouble, I'm in trouble. When you're at war, I'm in trouble. And I want to come help you because we're in this thing together. That's what the covenant is all about. So when you take this, remember that whatever you're going through, God is in covenant with you. And no matter what you're going through, He is with you. He's with you. Oh, Alright, everybody on my left here, my left, if you would, starting from the rear. Let's start from the rear. Come on past and take one of these containers. Amen. And then return your seat in this aisle on my left. And then on my right here, if you would, Please come out into the side aisle and come down and get a container and go back into the center aisle on this side. Okay, to your seat. Would you come? In Jesus' name. And wait until we bless this once again and we'll take this wafer and wine together, okay? We'll do this together. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Hallelujah. This is a holy convocation. This is a very serious matter. Meant to be experienced. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God.
thank you for coming from the center. you may want to assist your children with taking off the lid and those that are partaking. Take it, Lord, a solemnity and an honor and a remembrance, O oh God, of that great sacrifice that you have made for us. Our eyes are upon you, O oh Lord, our Savior. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done. We praise you for it. Let's take the body. body which is broken for you this do remembrance of me we remember we remember Lord and we will never forget In the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped saying this cup is the new testament is the new covenant In my blood. This, is, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we do remember the shedding of your blood. That blood that was not any ordinary blood. Blood that was sinless. That's why it was so special. We were not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by your precious blood, O oh Lord, our Passover lamb. Thank you for that blood. And Lord, we remember the terms of your blood covenant, your promises to us, O oh Lord. You promised to help us, to provide for us, to heal us, to protect us. And you promised to come back for us one day, Lord. 
And Lord, we live and we die in the hope of that promise. And we know that your promises are true and they're real. And oh Lord God, we promise to keep our end of the bargain. We'll be faithful to you, Lord. We will keep the ordinances and the command. We'll take up our cross every day and follow you. We will love you, oh Lord God. We will align our lives with you, Jesus. We will yield ourselves to the leading of your spirit. We will be doers of good as your spirit moves us, oh Lord. Helps us, help us, oh Lord God. In Jesus' name, we remember your blood. Praise team, would you come back right now? Hallelujah. 